Yes. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, I'm Jake Brennan, and I want to tell you about Disgraceland, the award-winning music and true crime podcast that I host. Disgraceland tells the stories of musicians getting away with murder and behaving very badly. Fleetwood Mac, Nipsey Hussle, Cardi B, Ozzy Osbourne, Taylor Swift, Tupac, The Beatles, Amy Winehouse, Jay-Z, The Grateful Dead, and so many more. This is not the music history you've heard before. This is an uncensored, immersive look at the lives of musical icons as seen through the crimes they've committed or that have been perpetrated against them. Did Jerry Lee Lewis murder his fifth wife? What really happened to Sam Cooke in that seedy motel at 3 a.m.? And how did the Rolling Stones wind up sleeping with the First Lady? Wait, what? New episodes of Disgraceland drop every Tuesday with bonus episodes released on Mondays and Thursdays. So get in, buckle up, and join me in Disgraceland. Available right now, wherever you get your podcasts. Rock and roll. Double Elvis. About a Girl is a production of iHeartRadio and Double Elvis. Let me tell you about Nas. Nazir Jones, the artist formerly known as Kid Wave before cementing himself in hip-hop history as Nasty Nods. The New York rap legend and contender for greatest rapper of all time, who gave the world three decades of music before finally winning his first Grammy in 2021. But this isn't about Nas. This story is about Khalees, a powerhouse of individuality and cool, Khalees took the early 2000s by storm with her colorful natural hair and trend-setting style, unapologetically rejecting the expectations of how a black female R&B singer was supposed to look. Her debut 20 years ago set the stage for artists today who embrace alternative culture and reject the box into which the entertainment industry tries to force black artists. Khalees walked so the new kids could run, and her icon status within hip-hop and R&B is cemented by the fact that she was undeniably ahead of her time. Her evolution from being a chart topper to a chef and farmer proves her versatility extends beyond music. Khalees is literally defying genres in real life. She's navigated love, loss, and the harsh realities of the music industry, staying afloat in murky waters that would have drowned a weaker woman. I'm Nikki Lynette, and this story is about a girl.
society doesn't really hold space for black women who have range. But when Khalees screamed her way into the mainstream in 1999, she wasn't asking for permission. Her first album, Kaleidoscope, featured an R&B pop hybrid called Caught Out There, an aggressive and unapologetic denouncement of an unfaithful boyfriend from a woman who refused to take it anymore. At a time when black female singers were marketed as perfect little sex symbols, Khalees turned respectability politics on their head by debuting with a curly afro, a punk rock fashion sense, and a single that featured her literally shouting the hook over a hip-hop beat. The music video for the song featured mobs of fed-up women taking to the streets in a feminist protest, a stark contrast to the black girls topping the charts at the time like Brandy, Monica, Aaliyah, and Destiny's Child. Khalees embodied the bold exuberance of urban culture, but with the alternative appeal reserved for artists who looked like Avril Lavigne. If Khalees debuted today, she'd be an instant hit. But in the Y2K era, the music industry didn't know what to do with her. Khalees' entry into the business wasn't the first time she reckoned with not fitting in. She grew up in middle-class Harlem, the third daughter of her black father, Kenneth Rogers, a jazz musician and minister, and her Chinese-Puerto Rican mother, Evelis Rogers, a fashion designer who owned a catering business. Khalees showed a talent for music early in life. As a child, she played piano, violin, and saxophone. Though her family was close-knit, Khalees' rebellious spirit was a source of contention. As a little one, she worked in the kitchen with her mom and hung out in jazz clubs with her dad to stay out of trouble. But as she grew into a teen, her rambunctiousness became too much for her family when, at the age of 13, Khalees executed the ultimate act of teen girl rebellion. One day, in a moment of inspiration, Khalees grabbed a handful of the thick coils of hair framing her face and decided it was time for a change. The ringlets floated to the floor. More hair was gone. Khalees kept at it until the image looking back at her in the mirror revealed an angelic face, a mischievous smirk, and a fully shaved head. Her parents were apoplectic. But Khalees was unbothered. So much so that when her curls started growing back, Khalees took the defiance a step further by dyeing the new growth the colors of the rainbow. This act of self-expression seemed to her parents like an attack on their traditional values. Khalees' mom and dad understood that she was an artist. In fact, it was her mother who urged her to expand beyond singing in church choirs and to pursue a music career. But when her unpredictable behavior and spats with her mom became too much for the family to handle, teenage Khalees moved out of her parents' home. More accurately, she got kicked out. She continued her education at the Fiorello H. LaGuardia High School of Music and Art and Performing Arts, an academy whose list of notable alumni includes award-winning artists from various generations of Broadway, television, dance, and even rap performers. While many of her classmates were enjoying a normal life as they prepared for high school graduation, teenage Khalees was holding down odd jobs while juggling her duties as a student and her aspirations of being a singer. Her big break came in the late 90s when, after singing background vocals on a song for hip-hop group Gravediggers, a friend introduced Khalees to Pharrell Williams and Chad Hugo, a duo known as the Neptunes. 
The producers had already been involved with some major hits at the time, including Rex and FX's smash Rump Shaker, SWV's singles Right Here and Use Your Heart, and Jay-Z's In My Lifetime. These young artists of color who didn't fit the standard mold quickly became friends. Khalees even inspired Pharrell to step up his fashion, urging him to trade in his standard Ralph Lauren polos for more fashionable wear, like Prada and Gucci. The monogrammed polos were cute, but he was an up-and-coming hitmaker. It was time he started dressing like one. Khalees signed with the Neptunes, and with their support, she secured a deal with Virgin Records. Khalees' debut album, Kaleidoscope, was released in 1999. But she faced the same issues many Black alternative artists complain about today. Her music was too urban for pop radio, too alternative for urban radio, and too Black for alternative radio. But upon its release, it was widely regarded as an artistic masterpiece by prominent critics who hailed Khalees' range and willingness to experiment. Rolling Stone would eventually include Kaleidoscope among their 500 greatest albums of all time. Offerings like Get Along With You made pop punk soulful, while the melancholy tune Suspended departs from Khalees' boisterous style, offering a jazzy, hypnotic melody, introspective lyrics, whispered ad-libs by Pharrell, and even a saxophone solo by Chad Hugo. It was a beautifully crafted project. But like Black female artists before her who didn't fit the mold, America simply wasn't ready for Khalees. They liked hearing her sing the hooks on other people's songs, as on old Dirty Bastard's smash hit Got Your Money. But they weren't ready for... her. Macy Gray and I were the first Black women to be considered alternative, Khalees told The Guardian in an interview. But people were like, but you're Black and alternative, what is that? Which already is a stupid-ass question, but it was put in our faces all the time. After discovering that the largest audience for her music was in Europe, label execs opted to release Khalees' second Neptunes-produced album, 2001's Wonderland, in Europe only. But this album also sold poorly, moving only 80,000 units. Dissatisfied that her record received little support from the label and no U.S. release, Khalees and Virgin Records parted ways. She returned to the studio to work on her third album, determined to create a work of art that would finally garner her the recognition she knew she deserved. Although this album would be released on the Neptunes label Star Trek, the duo only produced a handful of the songs. She collaborated with other producers such as Dallas Austin, Andre 3000, and Raphael Sadiq, dead set on proving to the world that she could hold her own with or without the Neptunes. Her efforts at branching out even included a brief period being managed by Diddy. It was at his MTV Music Awards after party that she would meet her future husband, Nas. 2003 finally brought the commercial hit Khalees was looking for. Her third album, Tasty, featured the undeniably catchy single, Milkshake. It peaked at number three on the US Billboard Hot 100 and landed inside the top 10 in seven countries. To say the song blew up is an understatement. It was such a massive hit that the lyrical hook, My Milkshake Brings All the Boys to the Yard, was inducted into urban slang and is still commonly referenced almost 20 years later. 
Tasty became Khalees' most successful album. It went gold in the U.S., platinum in the U.K., and scored her a Grammy nomination. America was at last ready for Khalees. Not only was her music being celebrated, but she quickly became a fashion icon due to her unconventional personal aesthetic. The world saw her now, and she was ready too. Album number four, Khalees Was Here, arrived in 2006 and debuted at number 10 on the Billboard 200. Its lead single, Bossy, which featured rapper Too Short, was a hit in the U.S., but went multi-platinum as a mobile ringtone. This album was also nominated for a Grammy. Fans couldn't help but notice that this time around, none of the songs were produced by the Neptunes. When asked about it at the time, Khalees stated she had no ill will toward Pharrell or Chad, and that departing from their characteristic sound was a step toward finding her own. From the outside looking in, Khalees was on top of the world. She was making hits, she was in love, and she was young and drop-dead gorgeous. Over a decade would pass before she finally disclosed the trouble that had been brewing all along. Her music never got the support she wanted from labels. Her new marriage was rocky, and shockingly, she felt betrayed by her longtime friends. When Khalees signed with Virgin Records in 1999, she'd been told that all of the profits would be split evenly between her and the Neptunes. She would later learn that was a lie. Nas saw a beautiful woman walking toward him. Oh shit, he thought. Hi, I just wanted to introduce myself. I'm Khalees. He tried to play it cool. Who? She turned to retreat, humiliated. He fumbled. Wait, huh? What's your name? She told him again. Oh, well that's great, because I've been waiting to make you my wife all these years. Initially, Nas remained a little standoffish, acting shy around her. It took a while for him to open up, but once he did, they couldn't stay away from each other. To onlookers, Nas and Khalees seemed like a mismatched pair. Her, a quirky alternative singer who redefined the R&B and hip-hop scene, and him, a gritty street philosopher whose lyrics could present him as being pimped out or spiritual or militant, all on the same album. Yet, the two of them just clicked. She loved to cook for him. She'd taken a hiatus from music after her fourth album and ventured into culinary arts at Le Cordon Bleu. Nas loved being spoiled with the delicious cuisine Khalees was crafting in the kitchen. But most importantly, she understood his rough past. She was a black chick from Harlem, after all. For nine years, Khalees and Nas were one of hip-hop's most iconic couples. After two years of dating, they married in 2005. Even on that occasion, Khalees embraced the opportunity to break the rules. Instead of a traditional wedding gown, she opted for a green and white chiffon dress with flowers embroidered on the bodice. Her bold fashion choice definitely got the gossip mill churning, but that commotion was nothing compared to the uproar when Nas and Khalees both wore the controversial name of his new album on their outfits to the 2008 Grammys. 
Nas had intended to make a statement on how the N-word no longer applied to only black people, but also to anyone who experienced inequality and harm. But the public wasn't buying it, with Nas receiving backlash from prominent figures like Reverend Jesse Jackson. Khalees stood by him throughout the fallout and adamantly defended the hip-hop star and his work. If there was disharmony in their relationship, fans never saw it. The two managed to keep their relationship extremely private. So in April 2009, when a seven-month pregnant Khalees filed for divorce citing irreconcilable differences, even the gossip mill was left speechless. What could possibly have caused one of rap's most beloved couples to split? It would be eight years before Khalees broke her silence on the matter. She might have kept her lips sealed after the divorce, but Nas wasn't ready to let go just yet. In July 2012, after coming across his ex-wife's green wedding dress in his home, Nas shocked the internet when he posed with Khalees' gown on his lap for the cover of his album, Life is Good. At the time, he said it was his artistic way of moving on from the marriage. But soon after, he revealed during a concert that he texted Khalees and asked her to make love to me one last time. Even then, Khalees refused to share details about the breakup. She wasn't going to be goaded into revisiting the past. She had no qualms with speaking her truth, but only when she was ready and on her own terms. It wasn't until 2018 that she finally disclosed to Hollywood Unlocked that the marriage was really dark and that she'd been forced to deal with infidelity, alcoholism, and mental and physical abuse. Khalees credited her pregnancy with her son Knight as her reason for leaving the toxic relationship. I've waited nine years to say anything, Khalees told Hollywood Unlocked. I have never talked about this man, ever. The amount of airing out that I could do, and I've chosen not to. Our kids will find out. They're finding out now. I've never painted myself as a saint. Did he hit me? Mm Mm-hmm. Did I hit him back? Mm Mm-hmm. Nas responded to Khalees' Hollywood Unlocked interview five months after it aired. He left a seven-part statement on his Instagram, refuting his ex-wife's claims. He stated that Khalees was the one who was physically violent towards him throughout their relationship. I do not beat women, he wrote. I did not beat up my ex-wife. You made up stories about me and claimed I did things that you did. He also claimed Khalees was preventing him from seeing their son, Knight, despite him winning joint custody a few months prior. The news sent the hip-hop community into an uproar, with fans of both artists taking sides and taking to Twitter in defense of their fave. As the public speculated on who was lying and who was telling the truth, Khalees once again chose not to feed into the sensationalism that surrounds celebrity breakups. After all, they just wanted a story. They didn't want her. As she'd always done when confronted with adversity, Khalees moved on. She began speaking openly about her love of food and how her desire to make healthy, delicious cuisine accessible to all inspired her to become active in the food justice movement. Black people often live in disinvested communities, known as food deserts, where there are high rates of poverty and few or no grocery stores offering fresh food. She wanted to use her platform to bring awareness to the importance of what her people put in their bodies. In the same year, 
Khalees released her sixth studio album entitled Food, and she married for a second time to photographer Mike Mora. Photos of the two together smiling and holding hands were all that the gossip site had to go on, as Khalees maintained her commitment to her private life remaining private. But in her new husband, she found a partner with a kindred spirit, someone who not only made her feel love, but made her better. They built their life together as Khalees toured internationally. When the pandemic hit, the couple sold their L.A. home and bought a beautiful farm in Temecula, California. Khalees immersed herself in learning the land, slowly adjusting from life on tour to the tranquility of the country. It was a big adjustment. The first month out here, I had a full-on panic, she said, and pondered out loud, what have I done? Her husband responded, yo, you did this. She and Mike began learning to live differently than they had, and she soon realized it was a second coming of age for her. But just as Mike and Khalees welcomed their second baby together, he started feeling symptoms of what would turn out to be stage four stomach cancer. After a tough two-year battle, Mike died in March 2022, leaving behind their two children, Shepard and Galilee, and a sprawling farm that Khalees would now have to manage all on her own. Being a mother and a farmer might seem daunting to most native New Yorkers, even to those not experiencing profound grief. It was the challenge of her life, but one she met head-on. Slowly but surely, she and her kiddos adapted to farm life. She began growing kale, broccoli, herbs, carrots, tomatoes, strawberries, blueberries, eggplant, lettuce, arugula, citrus fruits, olives, and multiple varieties of peppers. She began to realize the power of growing food with her own hands, the power of bestowing on her children the importance of land ownership, the joy of being able to play outdoors and experience nature at a time when so many children can't do the same. Khalees found peace in her farm because there, it wasn't about her music or her style or her proximity to other celebrities. It was about her and her babies. To be able to say, I belong here, I own this, it's mine, she said in an interview with Harper's Bazaar, I want them to have the proper understanding of what wealth is. I just heard the record everyone is saying has my sample, but it's beyond this song at this point. This was a trigger for me. Milkshake alone is one of the most licensed records of our generation. I am a creator. I'm an innovator. I have done more than left my mark on an era of music and style that will go down in history. But there are bullies and secrets and gangsters in this industry that smile and get away with it until someone says enough is enough. So I'm saying it today. I'm coming for what's mine and I want reparations. On July 28th, 2022, Khalees broke the internet when she took to Instagram to accuse Beyonce of theft. It wasn't that Beyonce's business team hadn't gone through the proper channels to clear the use of Khalees' music that was interpolated on her new song, Energy. The sample was cleared. Beyonce even listed Khalees in the credits of the song as an associated performer, igniting rumors online that Queen B and the icon Khalees had collaborated on a new song for Beyonce's long-awaited seventh studio album, Renaissance. 
Kalisa's frustration stemmed from the fact that nobody had ever contacted her about the use of her song. She found out from social media, just like everyone else. And she was furious. As folks on the internet are prone to do, they swarmed Kalisa's page and accused her of jealousy, bitterness, and being a hater. Kalise quickly put them in check when she clarified, in no uncertain terms, that this whole commotion was not about Beyonce, but the fact that nobody seemed to care that the rights to her music had been stolen from her by one of her closest friends, Pharrell. The music industry can be a treacherous place for young artists. Too often, in their excitement to share their music and gain recognition for their talent, inexperienced artists sign contracts that they later realize were unfair. In Kalisa's case, it's hard to identify the villain. She was told that she, as the songwriter, and Pharrell and Chad, as the producers, would split everything evenly, 33% for each of them. But that agreement didn't make it into the paperwork that the Neptune's management and lawyers presented to young Kalise in the late 90s. Who made the decision to mislead Kalise into signing away her publishing rights and her master recordings? Nobody seems to know. The only thing that can be said for certain is Kalise got screwed. She didn't understand what she signed. A common story, but no less of a betrayal. Initially, Kalise had loved being signed to the Neptune's label Star Trek. They weren't trying to force her into the cookie-cutter image that black female artists were forced into. They were letting her be herself. Kalisa's affinity for dyeing her big curly fro bright colors and her love of clothing with bold prints and crazy patterns was not only embraced, but encouraged. Kaleidoscope hadn't been a commercial success upon its release in 1999, but it had gained her and the Neptunes a lot of fans. It was during this time that Kalise began laying the foundation for the black alternative artists we see today. The cool kids who mixed thrift store finds with high fashion Genre defiers who merge R&B and rap with alt-rock and electronic music. Artists with natural hair worn proudly in all the colors of the rainbow. These creatives walk a path that Kalise helped to pave. When she released the Neptune's produced album Wonderland in 2001, a review in Blender magazine read, The best thing about Wonderland is that Kalise seems finally to have begun celebrating her eccentricities. Despite her second album being praised for its artistic integrity, Kalise couldn't help but notice that the sales once again did not reflect the quality of the work that she put into it. Kalise had been ready to level up, and she believed her team would support her in doing it. She had every reason to be optimistic. At that time, her life was pretty good. She was in the studio with her boys. She was making money from touring. She was living the dream. Kalise had grown so much since meeting Pharrell and Chad in her teens, and now she was ready for them to take a step back and let her stretch her legs a bit. She was sure they'd understand. After all, they were her friends. But when she told the Neptunes that she wanted to work with a variety of producers on her fourth album, things changed. She felt the familiar feeling she'd experienced in childhood when her efforts toward self-expression were perceived as an attack. Pharrell and Chad seemed offended by her wanting to branch out and find her own sound. They believed in her, fought for her artistic freedom, convinced major labels to back her. They'd been on this creative journey with her since the very beginning, 
and now she wanted to work with folks who didn't even have skin in the game? The Neptunes didn't stop her from doing what she wanted to do, but their relationship was never the same. Khalees left Star Trek Entertainment after the release of her third album, Tasty, in 2003. Distance grew between the Neptunes and Khalees, so when she came to the realization, years too late, that she'd been swindled out of her masters and was making no revenue from Kaleidoscope or Wanderland, her former friends weren't exactly empathetic. She felt betrayed, heartbroken, outraged, alone. So after years of Khalees living with the injustice of her music being stolen from her, Beyonce's attempt at giving Khalees her flowers in 2022 felt like a slap in the face, and Khalees was vocal about it. After an uproar online, Beyonce quietly removed Khalees' music from her album and took her name out of the credits. There was never a public showdown between the two women. No back-and-forth beef played out on social media as a spectacle for those who delight in controversy. It was handled with dignity. As someone who also entered the industry at a young age, maybe Beyoncé could empathize with what had happened to Khalees. Maybe B did it because she didn't want the drama. Or maybe it was simply an act of respect from one Black woman to another. The world might never know the reason why B simply updated the song on streaming services without ever addressing the incident publicly. As the firestorm died down, police went back to posting about food and sustainable living. Pharrell never made a public statement about it, and the world moved on. Before Khalise, the removal of her music from Beyonce's album felt like a win. If she couldn't profit from her own songs, then nobody else would either. Khalees' versatility and willingness to experiment is what she's known for, and it made it easy for fans to accept her pivot into electronic dance music in 2010. She'd never consider herself an R&B artist in the first place, despite the title being forced upon her by industry execs eager to brand her. Her fifth studio album, Flesh Tone, released on Will I Am's label, featured production from David Guetta, Boys Noise, Jean-Baptiste, and Benny Benassi. She also collaborated with Calvin Harris on his 2011 single, Bounce, which debuted at number two on the UK singles chart. But Khalees wasn't motivated by charts or fame. Her reinvention was a step toward being her most authentic self. Whether she was in the studio or in the kitchen, Khalees was cooking up nourishment for the soul. Her sixth album, Food, was produced entirely by Sitek and combined all of her musical influences. She was the only artist to ever debut her music with a food truck serving her own cuisine at the South by Southwest Festival in Texas. Khalees was serving black girl magic realness, and people were eating it up. In 2014, Food became Khalees' second highest peaking album after Tasty in 2004. When discussing the album, Khalees said, You know those records in your life that your parents played and they resonate with who you are? They make you nostalgic? I wanted to find out how to get that feeling. With this album, she proved once and for all that she really could flourish in any genre. Khalees' oldest child, Knight, is 13 years old now in 2023, the same age his mother was when she defiantly shaved her head and freaked out her parents. 
with a pop star mom and a rap legend dad, this kid growing up on a 24-acre farm with his younger sister and brother just might be one of the most well-rounded children in the world. Not only does Knight's Grammy Award-winning father Nas have 14 studio albums, 10 of which are certified gold, platinum, or multi-platinum, he's also a respected venture capitalist. Some of the companies Nas has backed include Silicon Valley sensations like Lyft, Dropbox, Coinbase, and TradeZ. But this isn't about Nas. This is about Khalees Rogers Mora, the award-winning visionary and barrier-breaking beauty who has collaborated with music legends across multiple genres, spanning from Busta Rhymes to Moby to Bjork to Enrique Iglesias. Being light years ahead of her time definitely presented challenges. Sure, she could have been more successful if she played the game the way folks wanted her to play it. But where's the fun in that? Some might see the struggles she's faced as a cautionary tale for young artists. But Khalees doesn't see it that way at all. She believes her life is a testament to the power of being true to yourself, even in the face of betrayal, disappointment, and loss. She is a pop star and a farmer. She is a mother and an icon. She is a success and a survivor. She's a badass woman who's shown the world that she's not defined by a man. This is about a girl. About a Girl is produced by Scott Janovitz and executive produced by Jake Brennan and Brady Sattler for Double Elvis. The show was created by Eleanor Wells, and this episode was written and hosted by me, Nikki Lynette. For sources used in this episode, go to aboutagirlpod.com. Music by Scott Janovitz and Matt Tahaney, with additional music and score elements by Ryan Spraker. The show is on Instagram at aboutagirlpod, and you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Nikki Lynette.